0: Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM at cfrc.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Let's get personal. Our talk feature interview. Welcome to Talk. Today my guest is Travis Blackmore. Travis is the CEO of a local organization called Lionhearts, involved with a couple of really interesting projects that are doing a lot for the community, but not just limited to Kingston. There is some expansion plans in the works, some exciting stuff, so we will get to that in our discussion. Travis, thanks so much for being here. Hey,
1: thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, for sure.
0: Great. So let's go back in time. Uh, I always love to learn a little bit more about uh, my guest's upbringing, earlier years, you're a musician and have been for some time. Take us back in time and give us some context to your life.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, music-wise, gosh, I mean, I grew up uh, I grew up in church and I grew up playing drums in church I was. I was... Years old when I had my first drum kit and my uh, little kid drum kit. My father put me on a full size drum kit when I was four. And uh, I was in uh, what I would call a charismatic church. So, you know, really lively tunes with the music or the worship, if you will, whatever would consist of country and bluesy rock and rock. And, you know, I would say it was a very versatile way to, to grow up and play a lot of music at a young age. Uh, that's kind of where I got my, my kickstart in terms of, you know, kind of cutting my teeth or cutting my chops. Um, my drum teacher, when I was young, I was progressing through church and through church life and very sort of um, quarantined or whatever you want to call it, you know, I was pretty church only. And I think my drum teacher, by the time I was. 14 or 15, could see that I needed to kind of spread my wings. So he would sneak me into uh, the local pub to play with the blues band. And like, <laughs> yeah, like sneak me in the side and, and uh, so that I could cut my teeth in a, in a much louder environment playing some blues tunes, you know? <laughs> Much of my father's dismay, but he understood. You know, it's like okay, we need some uh, some different ways of being dynamic and different culture
0: and stuff like that. But uh, that's kind of how I grew up playing that. And, and how how many times did you perform uh, through being snuck in the door to a, a pub before your dad found out that you had done this?
1: I remember the first time did that. And I mean, you know, in my upbringing, it was kind of like, there wasn't much talk of clubs or pubs or that sort of thing. So I remember just kind of always having the feeling that, oh, you know, you don't go there or something like that. Or, you know, you walk by as a kid, you're like, wow, music is stinking loud in there. (laughs) I remember, I remember my teacher taking me down there and I felt this nervousness in the pit of my stomach that, this is the first really loud environment. And uh, I walked inside, and he, of course, knew the band. So he nodded, and they knew that I was coming. So in between songs, people are cheering or whatever. I was super nervous, and the drummer kind of thought, as what I look back now, it was the opportunity for him to run to the bar and, you know, have a few drinks while he was carrying on, right? And uh, here I was, nervous as I'll get out, to sit behind drums and play what would normally be generic blues tunes, but I didn't know any of them because I grew up in church. I didn't have a huge exposure to non-religious music. So they'd be playing Stevie Ray Bond tunes that I'm learning on the fly, right there, and and here you go. And not always getting all the shots, but I could keep up with the band. I could play as hard. I could keep the rhythms and stuff. And uh, how long, though, did it, uh, I think I, t- I was so nervous after that, after that night, I think my drum teacher told my pops that this is what we were looking at doing, exposing Travis to some different things, and I think my dad was really cool with it, because I can remember going back multiple times. Um, he was also a teacher at my high school, so I was very involved in my in my high school playing drums for musicals and stuff like that, so that was a different kind of drumming with, with notation and playing with an orchestra,
2: which was
0: severely different than anything I had done as well. Wow. So what what did it feel like after that first experience of, you know, your first time, you're in this pub, you're, what, 15 years or so at the time? Yep. And you're playing with these guys, these adults on stage. Like, what did it feel like after leaving that environment? Like, what was going through your body, your mind?
1: Oh, when I left, I was just like, the adrenaline was just flying because, you know, you're hitting with real force like you would in practice, but you're not hitting, you're hitting with much more force than you would in church, even though it a charismatic church. So, you know, a blues bar and blues tunes, way louder than you would play blues at church, let's say. You know, you wouldn't want to destroy Mrs. Abernathy's uh, hearing aid, you know what I mean? That could be so you still had to maintain a certain level of volume for church and this was just like wow i felt like i was at a concert and the drive to continue to play was was oh there instantly even through the nervousness and stuff um yeah i couldn't wait for the opportunity to play at that level of sound again and to these guys it was probably their normal every week thing right so there's super callous to it or whatever but being a Fifteen-year-old kid coming from the background that I was in, I
0: was—I thought it was just so intense I couldn't wait for the next time. And so your music, your musical experiences really start to expand during that time in your life, and then—and then where do they go from there? How do things start to unfold?
1: So I grew up in Saint John, New Brunswick, which is a port city and it's the east coast of Canada. So you're somewhat limited. You know, it's not exactly Toronto with uh, record labels and, you know, a lot of touring acts coming through. It wasn't a lot at all. In fact, if you weren't playing blues or Celtic or country, you you really weren't playing. That's kind of how it rolled out there. And I can remember in high school, plotting with my best friend to go, you know, we need to move out of here. We need to move to Toronto or maybe go below the border to New York or Nashville or whatever, go to a bigger music hub to really spread our wings you know, so we thought uh, and it came to a point where my folks actually ended up moving to Ontario here to Casement and I can remember thinking as I was you know, 19 or 20, I'm like, here's my my opportunity to get out of Atlantic Canada and and maybe have wider exposure to some, some touring opportunities let's say mm-hmm. you know I had no idea how to navigate that you know it's a tricky tricky thing to navigate the music business or starting a band or recording or any of that stuff is it is almost elusive there's no playbook that every band every band has a pretty different story about how they made it they're not always. And uh, so I can remember going, okay, this is my pathway out of, out of Atlanta, Canada. Fantastic. I moved here, instantly started working with bands, started a band. And they would always kind of uh, either fizzle out, not work out. And I think I finally got the idea. One of the bands we had, we had been opening for had some members in the band that were just hired guys. They weren't part of the band they were hired to play the gig look this way act this way and stuff and I started thinking man if I really want to hit the road and tour maybe that's what I should do I should stop trying to figure out how to get along with five or six guys and get them all on the same page going in the same direction and maybe I should just try to get a hired gig as a drummer and ultimately that's what led to my my brief career in in touring was Exactly that, getting hired by a band, and uh, and heading out on the road, just saying bye to everybody, and plane ticket to California, and away you go.
0: Hmm. And so how old were you when you first touched down in Kingston?
1: So I was 20, and I began my first full-time touring gig when I was 24? I believe it was 24. I, I ended up, because of my church connections and stuff like that and being in the, the uh, Christian music industry, I ended up connecting with a band out of Mississauga called Manic Drive. who are still touring to this day. Uh, great guys. Uh, kind of that pop rock music sound. Um, they're nominated for Juno Awards and all that kind of stuff. And their drummer ended up moving on to something else and i had met them and began a friendship with them and they said hey man you're a great drummer we get along really well what what do you think about coming out with us and i was like man my bags are packed i'm ready let's go (laughs) and uh, that was my first experience literally getting on a plane playing a festival in california and starting to tour the southwest out there and uh i can remember taking pictures and stuff and kind of going wow no idea this is what it was like you know you have this until you get out there and see and feel it it seems uh, super glamorous and then you you're like nope <laughs> it's dollar menu and uh 12 hour drives in between gigs and <laughs> pull, pull your own stuff out of the trailer set it up yourself and then tear it all back down in the dark and keep going but you gotta you gotta do that for a long time before
0: never happens, right? If you're not playing in front of people, people don't know who you are. And so when you got this opportunity to go tour with them, did you feel like, wow, like, you know, some of my dreams are coming true or because you had been involved in music through church and so forth from such an early age, it was just kind of, yeah, run of the mill. Yeah, this is kind of just what I'm doing. Or was it more... Well, for sure, I felt like I had
1: made it, even though I was in a you know a twelve passenger van pulling a trailer, and I mean I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm uh, I'm not at home. I'm doing two hundred shows a year, playing in every Tom, Dick, and Harry town across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, even even though you're not in like you know a top top forty band, like it doesn't matter. There's so many bands out there. That are just working their tails off, that you'll never hear about, mm. but kind of what it takes to make it. And then bands break up and they reform under different names, and they, you know. Uh, I felt like I had made it coming from Saint John, New Brunswick. Going, oh my gosh, I got plane tickets here and going to play festivals in Sweden and uh, Japan, and you know, it's just it was it was out of this world. I couldn't I couldn't get over it. Um, but again, you know, when you're in a van like that, it's, uh, it's not as glamorous as you think.
0: Hmm. And so how For long, you? sorry, go ahead.
1: No, i was just saying, i just capping it uh, it takes a lot of work. Those guys are in the trench, like I said, setting up uh, years and years of setting up your own stuff and. You know, I would get messages from friends saying, hey, you're playing in Chicago, what's that like? And you're like, well, I'm kind of playing in Chicago. I'm in a, a you know, I'm in a suburb of Chicago. I drove in in the dark, I set up my own stuff, I tore it down and we left because we had to get to the next town and it was a, you know, 15-hour drive. <laughs> 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 I didn't get to see the bean, I didn't get to go, you know. <laughs> On other tours, as as things progressed in my life, I got to spend... A, a, Bit more time that way, but mm-hmm. the initial, the initial three four years of just slugging it out day after day, van and trailer was was, um, was a real eye opener to how hard bands work before they ever get a break or a song on radio or you start to see the behind the scenes of of that stuff. And it's it not there's so much behind the
0: scenes stuff people have no clue about. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca, speaking with Travis Blackmore, CEO of Lionhearts. Back in a minute. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating campus community radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by
2: Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board
0: of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston community. Learn more about 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 CFRC, Canada's
2: longest-running campus and community radio station at cfrc.ca.
1: If you like great music from the 60s and 70s and good covers, listen to Frankly Speaking Music to Tickle Your Memory Bone on Fridays at 1pm on CFRC Radio.
0: Welcome back to Talk. We're speaking today with Travis Blackmore from Lionhearts. He's the CEO of two of their uh, two programs that they're running here in Kingston, but there's some expansion plans in the works, which we will get to. And so we're just hearing from Travis about some of his early life and earlier years as a musician, a drummer, traveling around the world, Japan, Sweden, and uh, all through the states and various parts of Canada, and what that was like. So, how long did you tour with this uh, band, Manic Drive?
1: So, I, w- I was with them for a couple years, say three, three years, uh, playing the Christian circuit and um, just a hired drummer. You know, you're you're not in the band, you're not writing the tunes. It's just you're play, paid to tour and be the the guy on the platform playing the songs live and that sort of stuff, and then throughout touring, it's inevitable, you play with other bands, and uh, you know, I had another offer come along to play with another, funny enough, Toronto artist, uh, hip hop artist, kind of a crossover hybrid artist, his name is Manifest, and plays kind of the rap rock genre, a little bit more aggressive. So I moved from Manic Drive to Manifest, and played with Manifest for another three years, um, got to experience what it was like to go from a van and trailer to the first time touring in a tour bus and, uh, you know, went from playing, I don't know, 150 dates a year to start playing between 200 and 250 dates a year, a little bit more intense, a lot more time away from home, just kind of springboarded up a, a different level, if you will,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and more possibilities. During that time, I also met my wife and uh, well, my wife, Jessica, (laughs) started uh, a relationship, which ended up having, we have three kids now, but at the time, it it began to take a toll uh, being away from home. And that was a whole other relationship level, whereas before I was kind of a single, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants to now there was a little bit more responsibility at home, to say the least. And uh, I hadn't quite climbed the ladder to what I would have liked, let's say. And it became one of those things where I'm always going on the road and uh, gone for two, three, four months at a time. And just kind of being the, the, uh, the FaceTime husband or the FaceTime dad, And uh, I knew what it was like now for other musicians that I had met or, you know, I could sympathize with people that travel for work and were not able to be at home all the time. And uh, ultimately that came to a a head and I kind of decided it was time to stay at home and be with my wife and my kids. And I didn't ever want to sacrifice that. Uh, So here I am in Kingston. That's kind of what led around to Lionhearts was kind of envisioning my life playing drums or being a drummer and uh, deciding to let go of that particular dream just to be here, be in the present, be with my family, which created different obstacles in terms of what are you going to do for a living when your whole life has been spent pursuing being a drummer, uh, the touring life which is very different than, you know, a, a stay-at-home gig or a studio gig or a resident gig, let's say, uh, you know, to different musicians that are on Broadway. You know, you can get a gig where you don't have to travel, but you you play full-time for what you do, or a studio drummer where you can just live in Nashville and just play on records. Uh, those particular doors didn't open for me. So here I was in Kingston, and uh, I, had, I had got a... a uh, Job at Cook's Fine Foods and Coffee, actually downtown. Um, they roast their own coffee here in Kingston, and it was kind of just uh, an opportunity to keep my head above water, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that time, I'm kind of going through a bit of a soul searching scenario where I go, you know, what what am I going to do? Am I just going to is this what I I have for life here to be uh, a, a retail manager, if you will? Nothing wrong with that. I just with questioning things, if you will. And, uh, I don't know, I credit a lot of it probably to the way my parents raised me. I was raised in church, which uh, people have different experiences with church, you know, some good and some bad, and for me, it was, uh, something seemed to resonate inside of me with, with the poor and people that are hungry, and I, I used to see and be exposed to a lot of that through church and see different organizations that work overseas, and you know, Africa or wherever, you know, the typical what you would what you would envision there as a stereotype. And I always remember thinking, you know, what about right here in my own backyard? I know there are some agencies that do things. Um, what exactly exists here in Kingston? And Is there a way I can be involved or is there something I can do because I love music? I didn't want to totally, you know, cut off all strings there. I love music for sure. Maybe there's something that could unfold that way, and uh, we started doing this thing downtown where we partnered with Stages Nightclub, and we would do a little bit of. Um, since I was used to big production and big lighting, big sound. Stages has just a fantastic sound and light setup in there, and we would do a, a once a month kind of um, music night, if you will, in the hub, and we would bring in folks off the street and give them some pizza and, and try to offer them friendship and that sort of thing, and. And once a month just wasn't, it was great. It was successful. We had a lot of people come around us that that liked the idea. Uh, But once a month just wasn't wasn't enough. So how could we do this once a week? And that's what turned into one of our initiatives, which is uh, the Embassy Live Music Cafe. And we opened that in partnership with St. George's Cathedral downtown. And uh, what we wanted to offer was a Saturday night music cafe that on purpose was dry. Uh, There's been some alcoholism in my family. And I've known other folks that have struggled with alcohol. And if you're a music fan, it's tough to go find a place in town that has really, really good music. If you like blues or you like rock or whatever, country, country. Usually it's always at a pub or a bar of some kind. So if you struggle with some of those things, really tough to go into that environment just to enjoy music. There's a lot of temptation or smells or, or things that... So anyway, long story short, uh, the Embassy Live Music Cafe came around as an idea. We wanted to open something that looked professional, and even though it was dry, uh, it would offer the best possible music in the area that I could possibly get musicians to come and play at. Mm. Um, Kind of organized it a little bit different. We wanted it to look professional, but we also wanted to bring people in off the street. So we hand out a certain amount of tickets every week, 40, 50 tickets we'll hand out on the street to people that are less fortunate or down on their their luck, however you want to phrase it. That way they can come in with a ticket that will give them something to eat and drink for free, and they get admission for free. We wanted to make the venue nice enough that, you know, it would appeal to just about anybody. And they would want to come and be in that environment. And uh, so far, it's been a success. In January, we'll have been there for two years. And by the end of this year, we'll have seen, you know, somewhere around 10,000 people come through the
0: door. Wow. What an amazing uh, initiative. And I I love this idea of bringing together people from all different types of all levels of society. I mean, there's so much separation and division, and and we can often look at, I used to work with the homeless people in the Ottawa area, and so we can often look at people who are struggling in that way and think that they're just lazy, and there are so many uh, complex issues that these people are dealing with that we have no clue about. And so your initiative to bring people together and, and unite us is uh, really beautiful. Um, I want to ask a quick question about the period when you found yourself in Kingston again you had been touring for it sounds like 7-8 years by this point between the two bands is that correct yeah and so at what at what point if you can recall into that 7 to 8 year period did you realize wow there's there's a lot more to the the notions of of fame and glam of being a rock star then then maybe I fully appreciated.
1: Well, I think just from seeing what it's really like on the road, uh, it, it can it can take a toll on you. And I knew that I had this really great thing at home. My wife is fantastic. My kids are fantastic, and. Uh, you know, if you're not careful, you can get lost out there and lose those things. It's happened to tons of people. And I think I just didn't want it to happen to me. And that's what ultimately made the decision was, was that. I loved what I was doing. Mm. But if I I kind of had to have a chat with her and go, you know, if I'm not kind of at a certain point that I want to be or can you know, hopefully doors open or not open or whatever. It's hard to control that. Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: then I would rather be at home with you guys. The last thing I wanted was for my son to grow up and kind of go. You know, why should I listen to you? You're never home. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And uh, you know that's a nightmare scenario. And um, it's not everybody's story, but that's mine. And some guys can can pull it all out, and there there are lots of great dads out there, and they're not home super. Super often, but my particular story was I didn't, as a hired guy, I didn't quite get where I wanted to be uh, by the time I wanted to be. And I was okay with, with letting that go in the name of um, family and being home,
0: if you will. Well, I think your, your choices and your story is instructive in that capacity because I think a lot of adults, uh, and I've been guilty of this as well, where we get pursuing something. And it becomes our world and we have children, we have other responsibilities, our wives and so forth, our spouses and set and so we we justify to ourselves that being away from home for extended period of time periods of time or or working long hours and being away from home, uh that that it's it's necessary and yet you know, you you hear it all the time if you're a parent that, you know, your, your kids are only going to be a certain age for a certain period of time. And to miss those years, to not be emotionally available, to not be emotionally present, I mean, you can, be, you can think that you're a great parent and in many ways you probably are, and I'm not meaning you, Travis, I mean people in general, we can think that we're great parents. And yet if we're away from home for extended periods of time, there's a lot that's being lost there that that we can't fill in later on. So, I think you you it's beautiful. You made a wise choice, I I believe, to to kind of plant your roots. And it's amazing to see how the beauty of life kind of circled back on you and has created this amazing uh, live music cafe, a dry environment for people who. Either don't drink or don't want to be around a, l- a loud, raunchy bar at, at you know late into the evening, and and can still people can still listen to really excellent quality music, local musicians and otherwise, and also support uh, those that are struggling in many ways. So that's incredible. And now I'm curious as well about this question because I think any time that we you know, as we're growing up, we have ideas of what it'd be like. You know, we watch TV, we watch movies. So oh, it'd be amazing to be a movie star. It'd be amazing to be a a rock star, or, you know, to uh, be a professional athlete. And and you look at uh, the lives and the money, and and all we see is the 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 good side of all of this stuff, and and it can taint our perspective or skew our understanding of what's really required to not only function at that level, but also that these are human beings who have problems. And it doesn't mean that when you become famous, that your problems suddenly go away. And I think a lot of younger people, I know I went through that, we grow up believing that, you know, once you attain a certain level of something in life, that like, you know, you're just, you're cruising on easy street now and that that never becomes the case. So to to make that decision, I'm sure at, at certain points, it was a difficult one for you to to go off the road and to kind of plant your roots here in Kingston, did you go through a period of feeling lost or even depressed or kind of like grieving the, the change in the dream, if you will? Um, it was probably a,
1: uh, it was definitely a time of like, what, what am I going to do now? For sure. No question. Um, but again, I think it came back to – I leaned a lot on the way I grew up. So, I mean, for me, I had uh, – I always had the church there. In my mind, I had God there and was kind of kind of going, what what can I do to make a difference? I can't just spend life kind of day in, day out. For me, 9 to 5 was, was uh, something I had to do, everybody had to do. I needed something – I needed to do something more. I needed to give back – to the community, or or do what I felt—I don't know—it's probably cliche to feel like, uh, or to say something like, "What can I do for uh, for God, or for service, or helping helping the least of these?" Type things, and uh, and still somehow be connected to music, which I, I loved, and I didn't want to give up uh, it entirely, and you know, through starting this process and being able to use some of the things that I kind of gifts I've been given in terms of putting on music events or organizing, whatever, things just started to come out of the woodwork. Um, You know, I mentioned that initial thing we used to do at stages and I still have a relationship there with stages and the the guys that, that run the hub group and stuff like that. And, they really kind of kick-started stuff for me. They knew that I wanted to do some good in the community. I wanted to help find clothing for for people that needed clothing, whether it was winter coats or whatever. And, you know, the manager there said to me one day, he's like, Hey Trav, I know you want to do something to make a difference, and we have a lot of coats that get left behind at coat check believe it or not. Uh, would you be interested in picking those up and maybe – spreading them around town to to places where was like seventeen garbage bags full of coats. <laughs> and I was like, Holy cow, you gotta be kidding me and I said, What's the deal? He's like, I have no idea. He's like I don't know if people can't uh, remember what they did or if they don't care, if they're I don't know, they got a visa or whatever, they're just buying a new one. I've no idea but this stuff gets left behind. We hold it for so long in case someone comes looking for it. And, you know, maybe we could do this as a partnership together. So that's how things uh, began to kick off in terms of outside of the,
2: the music events, if you will. And hmm. uh, started picking up coats, which turned into some of my other church contacts
1: that were like, hey, if you're getting coats, maybe we could get blankets and toques and stuff from people that go to our church. And... If they have old stock of stuff, maybe we can gather that stuff and you, you can start distributing it. I just—it's a great idea. Do it. So I started organizing that. Inevitably, I had people that wanted to come along and help and volunteer and and help me coordinate some of that stuff, and which I was grateful for because uh, I didn't really know any of the. At that point, I didn't know any of the charity outlets of town, like you know Martha's Table or Saint Vincent de Paul or Lunch by George or whatever. I was kind of learning
2: as I was going along. I hadn't volunteered a day in my life, mm. to be honest. So I started uh, working with
1: clothing to start, and kind of I don't know, rescuing clothing. And through that process, one of the guys that was working with me, uh, Justin, was uh, had a job at Costco hey man you know we, we discard a lot of produce whether it's dates or it gets damaged in transportation or whatever uh, what would you think about maybe expanding outside of clothing into food if we could get that stuff set aside would you be interested in maybe distributing that to some of the places you take the coats to so again I just said sure like whatever that sounds great I hate seeing food go to waste, you know? I think uh, I think we've all heard stuff about the amount of food that's wasted in
2: North America or, or you know, westernized society and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I remember
1: showing up to Costco for the very, very first time. The, the contract clearly stated I had to be there at 7.30 uh, in the morning every day, seven days a week, and whatever is put on the dock you have to take. Whatever isn't perfect you need to discard and and whatever's good is still good to eat. You can then give that away. And I had one of our volunteers, Sean, who was with me from day one, and he runs the project now. Uh,
2: but I can remember showing up on day one, and there was 700 pounds of strawberries <laughs> on the dock. And I, we just kind of looked at each other, kind of like you know, excited that holy cow! But
1: holy cow, you know, <laughs> what are we going to do with this? Uh we don't know the first thing about what we're about to get into. We literally pulled it back to our church and I, I made a phone call downtown to one of the agencies. It said, listen, I got some strawberries. You guys want some? And the, I bring it on down. We hung up the phone and I went, great. Now I've got 690 pounds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I started calling the next place and the next place. And I knew I had to be back at Costco the next day. and And from there... In this coming January, that project, the food project has has expanded, Food Rescue, to add Costco, Cobb's Bread, Starbucks, Finley Foods, uh, Little Caesars, um, and we're picking up and distributing somewhere between $1.2 and $1.4 million worth of food every year. And distributing that to about thirty different agencies in and around the Kingston area, from Japanese to Gananoque. Wow, it's just exploded. Uh, this past December, Cobb's Bread opened uh, a location in Ottawa, and that's what started our expansion in in a different city. You know, one of our great partners here in the city that give us bread every night at eight o'clock. Cobb's Bread, they're in the Rio Camp Center over by the. Uh, movie theater. Uh, it's their end of day bread. It's been baked fresh today. And whatever doesn't sell by 8 p.m., they donate to us, and we spread that across the city to places that feed people every day. So they opened in Ottawa and said, Listen, can you facilitate the same thing that you did in Kingston? I had no idea. I just said,
2: Sure, man. We can, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> <This was last laughs> uh, so I needed to make phone
1: calls up there and find, uh, find point people and people that could lead the project and lead the charge there. Uh, now Ottawa has its own project manager for their, our food rescue program and they have five or six different teams that pick up through the week and now distribute it back into
0: different agencies in the Ottawa area. Truly remarkable
1: blows my mind all the time. I mean, it sounds like I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I can tell you this, that it really is the people that have come around me and taken leadership roles and brought their skills to the table and their hearts to the table. One of the reasons we called them Lion Hearts because, you know, people, to me, people that do this kind of stuff, whether it's Mother Teresa or, you know, whatever, these people are courageous to me. It takes courage to do that takes courage sometimes to want to be with people that struggle with mental illness. If, if you're not used to hanging around it, it can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm.
2: You don't quite know how to deal with it. And the people that I, I love are the people that go, you know what, just cause I'm not comfortable doesn't mean I'm not needed here. Mm. And they just jump in with both feet and they'll help
1: take food somewhere. or They'll come and hang out at the embassy and build a friendship with someone from the street. Um, that's why we call it Lion Hearts. Basically, courageous people with
0: really big hearts doing awesome things in the community. Huh. Beautiful. But yeah, we have—I want to say
1: somewhere between 150 to anywhere between 150 to 180 volunteers at any given time.
0: What a massive project, and and I can just only imagine. As a volunteer, people probably just love being a part of this initiative. It's
1: uh, it's it's pretty wild, you know. I can't say enough about the different leaders that we have in place and project managers. And some of those project managers managers have an assistant, uh, that sort of thing. And they're coming in and driving it with with pure. Passion. And we're still an infant charity, to be honest. You know, we've been around for about three years. It's, I, I often refer to it as a, a freight train that is a little bit hard to hold on to because it just is, it's taken on a life of its own, whether you're in the food clothing program or you're helping at the embassy in downtown Kingston. We have an opportunity to open an embassy in downtown Ottawa now. So looking to, Brand out there as well it's just been a an interesting ride man I'll tell you what a shift from touring setting up drums and and being under crazy light shows to all of a sudden feeding clothing and putting on shows for the same
2: people it's been a honestly it's more fulfilling to be honest way more fulfilling mm-hmm. right, with-
0: and now you're starting to tour with your programs, and <laughs> so you're moving. Yeah, sure. You're moving to Ottawa now. So um,
1: it, it took up to this year for our charity to get to the size where we could bring on myself as a as a full time person. I'm a, I can't believe it. It's like starting uh, something from scratch, and now all of a sudden it can sustain. It can sustain you. Um, my head kind of. Thinks differently. I, I want to pay people what they're worth for the job that they're able to do because I think that's what makes the organization successful. And what more of a worthy cause could you have to pay someone that's willing to serve the poor or the hungry or the destitute? To me, I want to pay them what they're worth because serving those people is a priority for me. And, uh, I just believe in bringing on professional people to do
0: things that I can't do at a way better level <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, sure sure I mean yeah. you're you're obviously the the pivot point here and 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 you're being led in this work it seems like things are just crossing your path you're not even necessarily always pursuing them per se and that's just you know leading to expansion and and so you've got a special role in this but yeah, there's obviously people who have different skill sets that can do things and and just carry your initiative forward and wider that much more effectively.
1: Yeah, I, I think that... I, I, I firmly believe that you can make a really big splash in that pond and make a difference um, by accepting that you can't do everything yourself. You have to admit that and champion people that have a passion in their particular lane and try to elevate them to be as successful as,
2: po- as possible. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Yeah. Wow, what a story. I mean, I I'm blown away by your story and and I'm grateful for it because I I know that it's helping so many people in our community and now expanding to Ottawa. And people want to check out your website. They can go to lionhearts.ca. That's correct.
1: That's right. Lionhearts.ca. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the, all the taglines. Um, what I would say to anyone, if they're, we get this all the time. People want to pitch in. They want to help. Um, drop us a line on any of the, probably the quickest way is to hit us through the social media channels. Um, We'll have some questions and some dialogue. You know, lots of people want to volunteer. We really like to try to find something within our volunteers that they do well, rather than just always trying to put people where you absolutely need them. We want to try to see what they bring to the table as an individual uh, that we might be missing, and they might be able to help help fill the gap. For instance, if you know if you're not into sorting produce, let's say. Or you don't have a car to be able to do delivery, but maybe you enjoy live music and you want to, to help us uh, set up or tear down or be in that uh, that type of uh, music environment, then that's where we want to try to fill what
0: desires are the individuals that volunteer have. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And if people want to yeah. ch- check out Embassy Cafe, can you give us the coordinates of that again? Yeah, so that's at uh, 129
1: Wellington Street. It's actually in the back of St. George's Cathedral. So there's a, almost like a church connected to the back of St. George's Cathedral, which has a monster dome on it. Um, it would be the back door of that, which is right by the post office downtown. Um, and it's- and all of the details are on the Facebook page, and the Embassy Cafe also has
2: its own... Website, which is EmbassyLive.ca. Yeah, so you can easily
1: hit there. Uh, we're booked until February, totally booked solid, and we have uh, another thirty-some dates already booked for next year. It's just
0: hard to keep hard to keep everything straight. <laughs> I bet, and it's every Saturday at Embassy, starting at what time?
1: So the doors open at eight o'clock. This was one of the the things that was crucial for us in doing some research, you know, with live music venues in North America, how many times have you gone to see your friend's band and they don't start till 10 or 11 at night? And, uh, you know, so we kind of saw a new trend appearing in Europe and clubs and bars, live music venues, putting on shows earlier in the night. You know, if you buy a, a ticket for a big event at the K-Rock Center, you know, let say I don't know, Journey or somebody. You're going to buy a ticket and the show's going to start at 7. And you're going to be out of the K-Rock Center by 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So why would you want to just go to a a bar to see your friend's band at 10 or 11? So we decided we would be the early venue in town. Our doors open at 8 o'clock. Music starts at 8.30 and usually wraps up by 10.30, quarter to 11.
0: Well, it's so nice to have you here and to be able to share more of your story through TALK and CFRC. Um, maybe we can have you back in, I don't know, six months to check in how things are evolving up in the uh, nation's capital. Oh, I would love that, man. That'd be great. Thanks so much for, for having
1: me, for the love and the support. It's, uh, it's fantastic to, to be able to be here to
0: share with you guys today. Awesome. Awesome
1: on CFRC 101.9 FM every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. you'll hear Finding a Voice. My name is Bruce, host of that poetry focused spoken word program. On it
0: you'll hear local readings and events, occasionally telephoned interviews across Canada, and always a touch of music. Again, Finding a Voice. Here Every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Check it out. Hope to catch you there.
2: Telephone Aid Line Kingston is a crisis, distress, befriending, and information listening service based in Kingston. Talk is confidential, non judgmental, and anonymous. We are a safe place to call when you don't know where to turn. To reach our aid line between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m., Call 613-544-1771. For volunteering information, please email talkrecruitment at gmail.com.
1: Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addington in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613 613- 544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388.
0: You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. A few things coming up. November the 1st, MindWell Support Group, a group that I facilitate free of charge every Thursday at 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle, information session is coming up on November the 1st, so we are launching a new session, and if you want to come check out what MindWell has to say, listen to some existing participants, past participants, share why they decided to check it out, why they continue to come, and ultimately what they find they get from from MindWell, that evening would be a great opportunity to learn more. Again, 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard in the hall at 7 p.m. Anybody who shows up to that session, that information session, will receive a free copy of my book, which highlights a mental health episode that I went through years ago and what I had to do to move through that, put myself back together, ultimately stronger than I was before that time. And so, also, check out tomorrow evening, Thursday, October the 4th, 7 p.m., Holy Cross High School is featuring Dr. Deji Einrund. He is speaking on cannabis and the adolescent brain. Dr. Ironrind is an Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Queen's University, also Medical Director of the Early Psychosis Intervention Program in Southeast Ontario. He's been actively involved in cannabis awareness and knowledge translation initiatives in various environments, educational institutions, armed forces, Police, justice, and frontline health professionals. Dr. Einrin has contributed to public cannabis awareness through both print and electronic media, including Parliamentary Press and the CBC. He is recognized by Health Canada as a cannabis awareness expert and has contributed to a number of Health Canada digital and online cannabis literacy initiatives. So check that out. Holy Cross, 7 p.m. Dr. Einrin speaking on cannabis in the adolescent brain. So I hope you enjoyed the chat I had with Travis Blackmore, CEO of Lionhearts here in Kingston. They have a couple of really amazing initiatives that started a few years ago. One of them being Project Reinforcements, a food uh, program that delivers food to many local agencies that are in need, collecting and having partnerships and collecting food from places like Costco, Cobb's Bakery, uh, Little Caesars, the list goes on. And so sorting through all that food, finding the good stuff, and then having a huge volunteer team to deliver that to local agencies is just a a beautiful and remarkable uh, way to not only save food and and reduce waste, but give back to people and to get food into the hands of agencies and uh, community workers that that are down on the front lines working with people who don't have a lot of stuff, don't have a lot of food, maybe are struggling in a variety of ways. And so Travis's uh, team is instrumental in making sure that people are getting taken care of. And so now this initiative is expanding to Ottawa. And he's going to be moving soon to Ottawa to head up the team that will further expand uh, all of these different things in the Ottawa area. And who knows I can see this just continuing to expand to uh, larger centers as well where homelessness is a major issue and people that are struggling uh, is a major concern so and I also think it's interesting listening to Travis's story uh, as a drummer, growing up as a drummer, starting music as the age of th- at the age of three, growing up in the church environment in a church environment, but also how he toured across the world and and thought he had made it and made it big and and early on in that that time in his life you know coming to the realization how much hard work is involved in touring that even though you're touring the world you know a lot of times you're you're setting the equipment up you're taking it down there isn't a team of people that are following you around at your back and call and so I think that often when we step on the path of the dream, when we're younger and we're formulating ideas of what we want to accomplish in our life, that once we get on the path and reality meets the dream, two very different things at times and so we are forced to contend with our expectations and our level of resolve and our resiliency and our courage to face whatever it is that we're facing within to stay on that path And so to persevere in a certain direction you really have to have a deep commitment to blood sweat and tears often when we're formulating the idea of something when we're younger it's all rainbows and butterflies we we don't see when we're formulating the dream the the depth of the complexity of that path. And so what's involved in the depth and complexity of that path that's not seen from the vantage point we have as a younger person are the trials and tribulations that are inevitably going to pop up. And so those are the things that test your character. And they also test your 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 perspective in terms of, you know, do I wa- is the things that are required to keep this ball in the air, do I want to keep doing these things? Do I want to keep jumping through certain hoops? And reality is you have to at, at, at certain points. Um, some people decide at a certain point along that path that, yes, I'm going to keep doing anything and everything at all costs to become famous or to get what I want or to get my message out there. And for others like Travis he started to have a family and it just seemed like you know i want to be i want to plant some roots i don't want to be the dad that's never home or that's a dad from from a distance and so he kind of resigned himself from that touring lifestyle and here he is in kingston 3 years into this lionheart's project and the amazing things that he's doing through the food program but also embassy cafe which is dry music venue, bringing in quality music uh, musicians and creating a space for all people, all levels of society, those who don't have a lot, who are struggling with different things, right on up to anybody at the top of the chain, if you will, and bringing all people together under one roof to listen to music and in a dry environment where you don't have to worry about um, a lot of things that come with, you know, bar scenes and so forth. And now expanding this to Ottawa. So I think it's truly remarkable. And sometimes I think the message here is that, you know, we have expectations about how we want our lives to unfold. And sometimes we do really need to listen to that that voice within that's saying, you know, maybe there's something else for you that's actually better than what you have convinced yourself is essential for you to be happy. And when we step back and we create a little bit of space between us and that thing, Wisdom can come into our lives and clarity. And then we get sent off on a new path. And it brings deeper levels of fulfillment and reward that are intrinsic to uh, authenticity. And not just propping up a persona so that people will be impressed with us or like us or want to buy our stuff. So anyway, I hope that uh, today's show has been interesting for you and compelling in some ways. And just uh, repeat tomorrow night. Holy Cross High School Dr. Ian speaking on cannabis and the adolescent brain November the 1st Mind Support Group there is an information session uh, at 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard I myself facilitate this group if you do show up you will receive a copy of free copy of my book and anybody who shows up to Mind Well at any point which is also a free drop-in group helping people with anxiety depression burnout. Uh, anybody who shows up to mind well time throughout this year will receive a free copy of my book which highlights my own story of dealing with a mental health episode but also how that led me to looking into other parts of my life and my past and really needing to heal some of that stuff and forgive and go through all of that that type of thing as well. So Um, You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Also, podcast available usually Thursdays by about noon. Check out the CFRC Podcast Network and uh, Google that. I'm sorry, I can't think of the uh, web link right now, but CFRC Podcast Network and all of uh, that information from Talk is there, all the past episodes, but also a lot of uh, other great shows that CFRC offers.
2: AMHS KFLA's vocational services connect employers with skilled workers recovering from mental health challenges. This free program offers individual assessments, job preparation training, and placement. Employers are matched with qualified, reliable workers and receive ongoing support for hires as they lead their lives in positive new directions. For more information, call 613-544-1356 or visit amhs-kfla.ca.
0: This has been another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and cfrc.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgauthier.com. That's info at timothydgauthier.com. Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety. Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kidd Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Till next week, be smart, be safe.